mother is bleeding. At least I have a husband, you know. Does anybody here believe it? So we're back after an impromptu week hiatus. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, at this point of recording, I still haven't even posted last episode's visuals. Mm -hmm. I have been, um, if you've messaged us, it's, I haven't checked it in a week or so or like read anything really. I just had some, some really, some kind of like back burner, everything right? Mm-hmm. Um, some like back burner stress and type, you know, things specifically relating to anxieties relating to the podcast that just kind of really came at, barreling at me the, the week of our last episode. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just got like really overwhelmed and kind of like my flight response is in full blown, you know, full blown freak out status. And so I just needed to take like some time away to kind of like just process, kind of come up with a plan because I'm really into like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. Just, Mm -hmm. uh, I won't get into the specifics. I won't bore people with all of the, the stuff now. But it's not, it has nothing to do with not wanting to do it. It's I, I love doing this and I want to keep doing it. But it's just kind of the, the stuff that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. So I was in full freak out. I just need a like a week to kind of step back, process, not check anything. <laughs> so yeah. um, I will eventually post those visuals. I will respond to messages. But I just need to take a minute. Tim and I went to dinner the other night and kind of just like talked through some... Like I need like some actionable steps mm-hmm. that i could take to try to deal with all the anxieties and stuff and i kind of have a semi-plan and then hopefully some like little steps after that if some of that's not working but i just need time to like gather my thoughts and like get through that shit mm-hmm. first so um a little delayed but we're we are back i do plan to keep moving forward i just got to work through some shit <laughs> anxiety is no joke so so today's episode is so it's episode 33 and it's the Felicity episode. Okay. But, um, so this is Ginger's firstborn. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I'd have to listen to it to probably get it exactly right. But most Americans would just say, like, Felicity. But right. I think I remember Ginger, she says, like, Felicity. Or, like, Like, Felicity. she hits the T like she hit she hits something really hard that I might be getting it wrong. I'd have to listen, but okay, it's very it's like it's it almost sounds awkward. It sounds like she's like forcing it, but Mm. (laughs) Felicity or something. (laughs) I don't know something like that. So, this episode is called Duggars on a Double Date, and it premiered May twelfth, two thousand nine. Oh, actually, can I go back for a split second? Mm -hmm. We'll get to the episode. I just realized that. People might be wondering what's going on with Mildred. Oh, yeah. We did get a lot of... (laughs) So, I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it just occurred to me that I've also gone, like, fucking radio silent. (laughs) Like, it just hit me right now that Mm -hmm. I've completely went off the grid right at the time that people might be wondering what's going on with Mildred. Mm -hmm. So, back it up for a split second. 
Um, so last episode, we were taking milk. She was limping. She had stopped yep. and then started limping again. And she was limping when we were like recording that night. Mm-hmm. Took her to the vet the very next day. But she didn't up until that vet visit that all that whole day she wasn't limping. And I'm like, oh my god, here we go. Yep. <laughs> so go to the vet, and the vet is like, yeah, you're right. She doesn't seem to be in pain. He manipulated and like moved mm. and you know did all the things. And he's like, yeah, she doesn't seem to be in pain. I'm like, yep, she's just making me a big fucking liar. You just know, being dramatic yeah, as usual. Yeah. But while he was giving her exam, he goes, oh, and she's missing teeth and uh, a tooth. And I was like, what? What are you What are you talking about? And he's like, missing a tooth. And I was like, he's like, she's had dental. I'm like, not since I've owned her and I've owned her since she's at least a year old. Right. So at some point since October, when we went in for her like regular, her annual well check and her vaccines, mm-hmm. some point between now and October, she's fucking broken a canine tooth that we didn't know about. <laughs> so I feel like the limping happened so that we would find out about the tooth. <laughs> Um, they can't, they couldn't get in there to see, they're like, if she lost it, if she broke it, I'm assuming she broke it. If she lost the entire thing, I think we'd know. Yeah. But, um, no idea how, when it happened, almost shit my pants when they gave me (laughs) the, the, the range in which it could cost, which is like 1700 to $2,800. I about fucking died in the office because I'm like, (laughs) I am like self-employed right now. And it's which (laughs) twice in that they were like, we're giving you the most expensive option and everything itemized well what's funny just to kind of like explain it even more he gave me he was like i'm gonna pull you up a quote they're very good at our vet of being Mm -hmm. like if you have to go to the next step here's what you're looking at and it's Mm -hmm. a big if so he was like she seems okay but if it didn't get better with her leg if she needed x-rays blah 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 so they come back with all these quotes for like x-rays and stuff but I didn't have a quote for the dental thing. And I'm like, can I, can I, and they're like, oh yeah, we can go get, <laughs> and then the girl, she's like literally like holding it behind her back, the mm-hmm. tech. She was like, now don't freak out. She was like, it's because they don't know, how, they don't know if they'll need to, how much they need to dig out. They're like, if, if she just lost it, it won't be as bad. She didn't just fucking lose it. I know they'd have to dig it out. Right. Cause they're saying that like, I didn't need to, we don't need to freak out right now, but it does need to be taken care of sooner rather than later. Cause she has some inflammation. But likely they have to dig out the root, right? Basically a root canal on a cat and canines go back so far. So their quote was between 30 and 60 minutes of surgery and anesthesia. So that's mm-hmm. why the range was 1700 to 2800 And I'm trying to like be like, okay, and not like shit my <laughs> pants in this office. Mm. But then the girl was like, but because he had even said, but you might want to try this pet dentist. But at the time I was thinking, well, I like you guys. I'll just... I'll just, you know, you, so now I understand the reason he never even gave me a quote from them. Cause he was like, don't go through us. We're too expensive. Correct. <laughs> like, and the girl was like, my, do- I took my dog here and it was a lot cheaper. So now I get it. My sister actually took this dog to this pet dentist before and it was a fraction of the cost. So anyways, we have an appointment. Everything's booked out super far. Mm-hmm. Mildred doesn't go on until Valentine's day to even get the initial exam. Yep. And then from there we'll have to schedule out surgery. <laughs> So, yeah, I, it just occurred to me right now. I'm like, oh, shit, we didn't say anything about Mildred and then we disappeared. <laughs> so yeah. people might have think something happened. Right. So she's doing okay. Hoping to God it's less than $1,700. <laughs> I do not sell enough vintage for that. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Anchor never gave us another ad. Yeah, Anchor capped us out at 300 bucks. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So that, sorry, I had to go backwards because it just hit me. Yeah. The running joke, too, was that because the tooth that is missing is one of her canines, 
is that she was like, dogs, am I right? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just like, when did it happen? Yeah. Like, we, I keep, like, every other day, I'll be like, do you think it was that one day that she didn't eat her food that fast? Like, I'm, like, <laughs> trying to figure it out. And sorry and- to turn this segment into, like, the cat health segment, but um, there was a point where she came and greeted us in the morning on, like, one of my days off. And she had like a scab on her chin. But it was on her chin and she seemed okay though. Yeah, it didn't, I, it was hard to tell whether like there was an injury there or there was blood somewhere. So like, we're not sure is that Nobody when it happened. Knows. And then like, I feel like sometime later, the same thing happened again where she came in with the scab again. We were like, where'd this scab come so from again? So all I can figure out is that she did something that maybe broke the tooth and like, did something to her chin i don't know yeah but then i was like oh my god i'm a shitty mom how did she break a tooth and i didn't know and the tech was like girl my dog broke a tooth and the gums grew over it so it fucking happens <laughs> yeah. i was like thank you i needed that yeah okay all right so if arrow animal hospitals looking to sponsor a little homegrown podcast of people where that have your, gone there a lot we're your people yeah and then after february 14th i think we could have an ad for pet dental usa so <laughs> <laughs> that's what we could be doing yeah okay sorry i just wanted you guys to know mildred's okay sorry if you were worried about her because i have fucking anxiety and had to go off the grid for a week and a half our 17 year old human daughter yeah, is exactly, okay exactly she's fine mom had to go off the grid she's got anxiety <laughs> okay so Duggar's on a double date. Did I say the date? May 12, mm-hmm. 2009? Okay. Anyways. So this episode begins with a black and white flashback to Pest telling Anna she had joined the mommy team. Yep. And it gets worse every time. <laughs> along with the retelling of the long four months that they waited to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Or expecting. I'm sorry. They don't say pregnant. Expecting. Oh. Those four long months. They even just talk about how like depressed she was. Yeah, those four long months. Man. So now Anna is stressed um, because she's having intense morning sickness and Josh leaves in a broken down, uh, leaves her in a broken down truck. And he says, quote, this is not the first time Anna has been left on the side of the road. (laughs) Great. Four months into marriage. Um, Basically, they were driving a truck from Josh's lot and it broke down. Mm -hmm. So Josh left Anna in the truck to go get the tow truck from the lot. Mm -hmm. Anna says Josh got a ride with the police officer to go get the tow truck. So at least we can say Pest is prepping for his future, you know. (laughs) But poor Anna, um, during one shot of her waiting, doesn't she look like so fucking stressed and uncomfortable? Like Mm -hmm. she is like, it is palpable. That girl is dying inside. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they have a doctor's appointment, and they're stuck, and she feels like shit. She's got morning sickness. <laughs> yeah. And they, they allude to the fact that, like, when they have things like this, um, that Josh was trying to knock multiple things off. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, Anna's talking about how it's five minutes to 11, and their appointment is at 1130, which is in another town in Rogers. Mm-hmm. And then she's talking about all the things that Pest still wants to do with picking up and dropping off of cars. So the cameraman asks to Anna, he says, isn't Josh late to everything? <laughs> and Anna like starts laughing and she like, I don't know how else to describe it other than she kind of like dives her head down. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Um, and she says that, um, I don't know. It's 
Which says everything, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that right yes. there. Yes. So the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Pest claims, quote, very rarely am I ever on time for anything, but I'm normally five to ten minutes. <laughs> I don't buy it. I don't no. fucking buy it for a fucking no. second. He's that guy that shows up 45 minutes late. I was only here five, ten minutes late. Yeah. So in her talking head... Anna talks about being worried they'll show up late and the office will say, sorry, you missed your whole appointment. <laughs> and then it goes to a scene back um, at the day when Pest says, like, so it's like the talking head now flashing back to day of. Mm-hmm. And Pest says, uh, they're like, he's kind of like wiping the sweat. Like they're mm-hmm. in the office of the, of the car lot. He's yeah. like wiping sweat from his forehead. And he says, I'm sure the doctor can wait a little bit maybe and anna just starts like shaking her head and she's like no (laughs) no she's not supposed to disagree with him but um so this whole thing this whole scene just stresses me out watching it like did it stress you out or is that just me it did because then there was a point they picked up the truck with the tow truck and pest is like hooking it up and getting it all into it and he's putting the tow lights those are the lights that are um, on a big long string that you magnet to the trunk or the top of the vehicle so people behind you can see turn signals yeah. and stuff. And he's just taking his sweet ass time and he's slowly undoing the cord and he's he like, said we something along. Yeah, he was like, you know, people, it's really silly to use tow lights when you're towing, but. You it's gotta do it by the book. Yeah. It's the law. Yeah. Like, it just stresses me out because I hate being late. Like, I yeah. fucking hate that more than anything. It stresses me out. So now they show that it's 11 17. Mm-hmm. Remember, their appointment is at 11 30. <laughs> they and keep Anna- showing the yeah. clock, too. <laughs> and Anna says, quote, Well, Josh, I mean, he has a business to run and he's trying to kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> and so I'm very grateful for his diligence. They love that word, diligence. And resourcefulness, just trying to accomplish as many things as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's like Anna is doing what she's been taught to do. He's Agree in charge. politely. Yes. He's in charge. You can't say or do anything against him. So she can't say, not the fucking time, get in the fucking car and let's go. <laughs> yeah. Instead, she has to spin it as this positive. Because as we learned in, you know, seven things of blah, 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 being a white, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. She has to spin it as this positive. And, you know, it's about his diligence and resourcefulness. Right. I want to point out, though, that the issue of them breaking down, that that, that thing is, that's solved. Mm-hmm. That alone was enough to be a bump in the road to make them late. Right. But that problem has been solved. At this point, um, it's, it's because now I just assume it's because they would be passing the me- mechanic that josh uses for the car lot yeah um to go to the doctor he's trying to drop off a different car now yeah so he's trying to pick up that little acura or whatever yeah it was. so it's like not the time bro chacho like yeah. you know like, you already had one time. setback yeah but now like, because you're driving a tow truck now you're now gonna do you're more trying work to add on more bullshit yeah. so it's like not the time and after all this time that he wastes with his diligence <laughs> he ends up nodding even being able to do it anyway yeah because the car is an all-wheel drive correct so it's like he stresses out his pregnant sick wife Mm -hmm. makes them fucking late and it doesn't even work out because he's a fucking idiot yeah 
Because he's just like, you know, it's hard to remember. I have so many cars on the lot. It's hard to remember what's, which ones are all-wheel drive. And I'm just like, you fucked up, buddy. Move on. Well, you're, what you should be doing is driving to your doctor's To appointment. the doctor. Yeah. Like, stop. Like, just stop. It's like they just the insanity just keeps building. <laughs> so now they're walking into their appointment at 11.53. <sighs> Five to ten minutes. God. And Josh is saying in a voiceover how in a big family, you kind of get a pass, but it's just the two of them. So people are like, you're late, you know, or like whatever. Yeah. Still justification. Now I want to give you verbatim what he says next. The entire rest of the episode, by the way, is just little vignettes of Josh being super smug. <laughs> the yeah, entire episode. Yeah. Anyway. So he says, quote, Basically, they figure you come in 30, 45 minutes ahead, especially your first visit, because you have to fill out a bunch of paperwork. So I knew it wasn't a big deal to be 15 minutes late. They're not even going to notice. Which makes no fucking sense. <laughs> so you're saying that they expect you 30 to, five, 30 to 45 minutes ahead. Mm -hmm. So that would mean you're talking between 10.45 and 11 is probably when they're <laughs> expecting you to be there. So then suddenly being they're 23 minutes late is fine they're not going to notice like how does that even make sense it doesn't even no not it doesn't what he's saying contradicts itself yeah makes it's, no fucking what sense what did they say, what did they say at the creation museum it's uh it's circular reasoning oh that was at the gem thing that yeah. Was when, yeah yeah it's circular reasoning you know they expect you to be 35 45 minutes ahead for your first point so being 23 minutes late is fine that's what he's saying <laughs> yeah anyways oh man so this is the same lady that sees uh, Baby Cannon all the time. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like I didn't realize. I'm like, oh, shit. She gets a lot of airtime. <laughs> yeah. But before. There's a funny moment. In this they're taken too. to the back. And this is before she comes in. So this is before Dr. Sarver, Sarver actually comes into the room. They have the nurse that's there. And she's doing, you know, the basics, vitals, mm -hmm. asking the questions and things. And she asks if Anna is taking prenatal vitamins. Correct. Anna says she was. But she hasn't for the last two weeks, and she needs to get chewables because she can't swallow. Mm -hmm. Here's the point where we get the infamous line from Pest, oh. a contender for a new beginning intro. Oh, a new to intro. New intro to the show. Okay. Pest says she's like the master at swallowing. <laughs> it's so bad. Um. Yeah. So I mean, I don't even know where you go from there. He just said it. So no. You awkwardly move on. Anna is the master at swallowing, apparently. <laughs> apparently. But remember, Dr. Ed Wheat said that it's, you know, nothing, d despite its distinctive smell, it's like egg white and it's not gross. <laughs> there was a funny moment with the doctor where they were, the camera crew was kind of asking her, you know, oh, how do you feel about like the oldest Duggar being here with like their pregnant spouse and then she was oh, yeah, yeah. she was like oh yeah like you know just looking very pleasant about like yeah it is kind of weird but then there it ended weird because the camera guy goes so do you feel like michelle's gonna have more kids and it is the only time that all of the like expression went out of her face and she put her head down and she kind of just started mumbling like, "Well, I don't know." And they're like, "But you think you think she will?" And she, the doctor, looked up and awkwardly was just like, 
Well, I guess we're just going to have to see what happens. Because she's like, there's no stopping these fucking people from That's breeding. That's how it, it felt like it was like she doesn't agree with her having any more kids. But she there didn't want to be like, no, homegirl crazy. They're never going to stop. <laughs> yeah. So it was real awkward. Well, it's also kind of funny because Pest tries to act like they've looked at several other OBGYNs. <laughs> I know. Um, and decided on her. But it's like, I don't buy that for a second. No, not really. Like, who cares though you don't need to pretend you shopped around and Mm -hmm. decided on her it's like you went to the same place as your mother it's just move on you don't need to come up with this fake story about how you looked around and you just really decided she was the best but that's part of his diligence his diligence and resourcefulness so um this part of the episode ends with anna getting an ultrasound that, of course, they don't show it all because it's an internal one. So mm-hmm. it's funny because she's even like, do you have a blanket? And then the doctor's like, well, this is actually internal. So you're probably going to want them to leave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to leave. Exactly. Which, internal? Uh, ultrasounds suck. They, they're very uncomfortable. <laughs> Fucking hurt. They hurt me, at least. I don't know. <laughs> Hurts me. So now it shifts to the second part of the episode where Pest and Anna are going out on a double date with Amy and her boyfriend, Mike. <laughs> and oh my God, can we please just tag, you know where I'm going. I know can exactly. Can we please just take a moment to discuss the clothing? So, Femi, she's wearing a long sleeve brown baby, do- baby doll style top with mm. a chunky turquoise necklace. 100% Tim, something I would have worn. <laughs> I wore a lot of brown, but like baby doll stuff, like right up, it was right up my alley. That like, was I'm such like, the era there's too. A, a, lo- a lot of Femi's outfits like take me back, but there's select ones where I'm like, oh shit. Like when she was wearing the hoodie and the hat at the diamond mine mm-hmm. things. And then now this, I'm like, oh God, it's 2008 Whitney was wearing the same shit. Yep. So takes me back. But her boyfriend, this is our real, because like. The Duggar guys are not hip on clothing, right? So we don't get this opportunity to often with the men folk, if you will. They look like if Bob Vila worked at Target. Yeah. Is how most of them dress. <laughs> yes, exactly. The crossover you never knew you needed. But, oh man, her boyfriend's outfit, it fucking screams that era of like Hollister, American Eagle, Abercrombie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's wearing a like lime green polo with like the thin, skinny white stripes Mm -hmm. with a really tight gray long sleeve underneath. Yep. And just like the light kind of like wash jeans. Mm -hmm. All he's missing is the fucking puka shell necklace. (laughs) And he would have been like every boy. Oh, yeah. In my high school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. And you can tell that he's like. You can tell that he's like muscular build. Well, because you know she likes to tell they've known each other since seventh grade. Yep. She was a cheerleader and he played football. Yeah. So you can tell that he was like the football bro, bro. that dressed a little chatty. He, he looks like he should be Chad. He and looks not like my, a Chad. Chad, yeah. like literally, he's a Chad. Apologies if we have any listeners from the country of Chad. We're or not making fun of you. if your name is Chad, we're also not making fun of True. you. you ju- he just kind of looks like he might be a Chad. It was just an era. Yeah. So, Amy and Mike, they're now in the living room at Pests and Anna's home. And I don't know if you noticed, did you see the congratulations banner on the wall? Mm-hmm. 
did you see that in prior episodes? Okay, because no. neither did I. And I feel like I would have noticed it. Correct. So I feel like we would have seen it in him. Like, you joined the mommy team. Like, I right. feel like we would have seen it. So at some point between then and there in the last month or so, they've put up the banner from their wedding that has, mm-hmm. like, the wedding bells. And it says, like, congratulations, yeah. Josh and Anne. <laughs> yeah. Above their couch. Am I remembering timelines correctly? Was when Anna wanted to make dinner, was that from the honeymoon episode? So that was from a long time ago. It was from the honeymoon episode, but just because it was on the honeymoon episode doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that's when it happened. Mean that's when it happened. Okay. Because that's what I was thinking was like, if they had the whole family over and Michelle's known for doing those banners, I was like, maybe they brought it to dinner or something. Um, I don't so know, yeah, I think it happened together that aren't really important. It, it, it happened at some point, I think a little bit before this, because it was not right. there in the baby thing. It wasn't there mm-hmm. with the family coming over. So they randomly decided that this makes great living room decor. Of course. So, um, they're in the living room and they're going over plans for the night. And Josh says, I've got a ride out here. If you want to ride with me. He's so smug. <laughs> yes. So he, he's like, you know, if you want to just like pull your car into the yard, classy. Um, so then he ends up taking them all in this old Jaguar and he is feeling himself. <laughs> oh, man. They arrive at the restaurant, which is like a hibachi style. Shogun sushi. Oh, there you go. I didn't even write down. There you, look at you. I looked at the menu when they were. So can, can I make one comment before you talk about yeah. what they do? I feel like in this era of television, um, whether it was written or it was this style, I feel like sushi is the way to be like, oh, look at the cultural differences. They're really going out there for sushi. Yep. And they absolutely do it where Femi's telling everybody how she doesn't know how to use chopsticks and then they all try to use chopsticks and like, she's like oh the raw fish oh no yeah like, it felt so scripted and awful yeah everything about it was awful so they arrive at the restaurant which is like i said hibachi ish and um something small that i wanted to note not super important but worth noting in my world mm-hmm. did you notice that now anna is wearing all of amy's jewelry <laughs> no so anna is now wearing that chunky turquoise necklace that i talked about mm-hmm. and she actually was wearing two i just t- talked about the turquoise but there's also like a white one that's kind of like pearly a little bit mm-hmm. now anna's wearing all of it um yeah and it don't it doesn't look good she looks like it doesn't go with her outfit at all so she looks like she's playing dress up it's like so she, Femi was like you need some jewelry yeah. to wear on this date <laughs> and yeah. then now anna just looks more ridiculous because it's like she went like i'm playing dress up in mom's co- jewelry <laughs> She just needs some like crazy lipstick and she's and like some heels that are three sizes too big and she's set. <laughs> You're beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so Pess says in a talking head, referring to Amy, quote, Of course she has a mom and dad that really love her and everything, but you know, I'm her cousin. I gotta be able to watch these guys. You know, I kind of shake their hand, a little extra grip in it, you know? Oh, I'm pretty sure that soggy handshake is <laughs> is really intimidating some of these men into treating Femi right yeah mike is intimidated oh man that's if he had a puka shell necklace he would be clutching it right now <laughs> right <laughs> forget pearls if you're depending on pest for your screening process <laughs> i wouldn't set your your hopes too high no <laughs> so, no yeah 
All right. So now we're graced with Mike's joke telling. Um, he says Amy, he says to her that she would like sushi because she likes the little mermaid. Oh, man. Oh, um, along with the story of an eating contest that he did in which he ate dried liver, green jello mixed with relish and jalapenos, and an onion covered in caramel. I didn't, I didn't understand if that was a flex. He thinks it's a flex. It's a weird flex. He thinks it. Bro. And then Amy's like, the things you do to impress a girl. I'm like, what, were you there? Like, I'm not, I, th- I felt like that was a thing to say again. I was just like, okay. It was real weird. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, I'm like, he's that guy that you're, he's just like talking. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. You can tell. There's one scene where you can tell that he's not super used to being on TV. Well, I mean, most people aren't. To of be course. Fair. But he, when they got out of the car, he was good. And then when they were knocking on the door to go into Josh and Anna's house, as soon as they opened the door and then Famie went to walk in and the camera kind of like got close to them, he got real awkward. So it was just interesting. I mean, part of me is like, I get it. And the other part of me, I'm like, but now you're telling stories you don't need to tell. Yeah. Now you're just. (laughs) I think he's having like the diary of the mouth. Like, I got to talk. So let me just talk. Like, you know. So kind of like with, uh, what was the male lady? What? The lady with the stamps. Oh, when I was talking to Kashmir? Kashmir. For some reason in my head, I kept thinking karma, and I'm like, it's not karma. Yeah. Yeah. Me talking to... You know what? So me and Mike can relate. Sorry, Mike. (laughs) Sorry if I was talking shit. I understand. (laughs) So Amy tells the camera guy that they're enjoying their double date and that they actually have a lot in common. Do they now? (laughs) Exactly. Do they now? Examples, please. Can you give (laughs) me an example? I was like, I would like to... (laughs) So she says she's not kissing in front of them, though, and they kind of, they ask why. And she's just out of respect for Jim Bob and the family. Mm-hmm. So she says, even though I want to, I'm not going to kiss him tonight. Which leads once again to Josh explaining courtship versus dating. No, oh, yeah. It's like we, we have to see their fucking engagement 400,000 times. Now we, we have, get yeah, it. Yeah, it's like we fucking know. We save, you're giving away pieces of your heart. You're saving yourself for the person. <laughs> like we fucking get it. So now they're showing Amy with the ultras. Like, oh, I mean, um, Anna is showing Amy the ultrasounds because mm-hmm. their appointment was earlier that day. And Amy is asking if they have any names picked out, yada, yada, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mike is trying real hard to be funny. Oof. And he says he'd name them after Transformers. Yeah. Which wasn't I don't... that a wasn't that a Dane Cook bit? Is it? I could have swore he had a bit about naming. I wouldn't his be kid. surprised make uh, Mike looks like a Dane Cook he watching does look kind like of a And Dane that was Cook. very of the era. Like exactly. Dane Cook was big during this time. That's what I literally wrote. Like I feel like Dane Cook or somebody at the time had a bit about naming their kids. Optimus and Megatron. Uh, we'll have to look it up. Edit. edit. I, I feel like that's ringing bells way back in my brain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just kind of funny because I don't think Josh or Anna know what that is exactly. <laughs> so it's already unfunny is made less funny. Yep. And in a talking head, Anna says, I thought that's funny. That's something a guy would say. But like, isn't Transformers what they call like things with like electricity? She's probably like, oh, that thing that goes out in your neighborhood. <laughs> they have names. They had to replace the transformer. <laughs> That's why your power's out. Oh man. Josh then he asked Mike to lead them in prayer. <laughs> and at one point in the prayer, Mike says, 
quote. We thank you for this joyous occasion, bringing us together with Josh and Anna. And you know, I'll just be praying for their baby that's being processed it's right being now. being processed. <laughs> In a talking head, Anna, she says, okay, his prayer was so cute. He prayed for the baby that was being pro- processed. <laughs> and she laughs. Yep. Processed. Mm-hmm. But like nobody like nobody gave in at the moment like amy was like amen and i'm like is nobody gonna laugh at the fact that he just said baby being processed and they're just like amen well they don't want to interrupt the prayer or the processing <laughs> processing i just imagine a robot going processing <laughs> the processing. transformer is processing that's true see it all makes sense you know mike yep. is making sense see? i'm liking mike more and more i hope he gets a spinoff <laughs> Okay, so now the food is being cooked for them, and Anna, in her early pregnancy, all-day-long sickness state, is struggling a bit, Mm. with the raw shrimp and lobster tail being cooked directly in front of her. Like, it's not like it's even being cooked. Like, the guy didn't do it on purpose. I mean, it's, you know, it's all coincidence. It's a bocce, yeah. But it's not like the guy is cooking those things, like, two people down where Mike is. Like, all that shit is happening directly in front of Anna, and, like... She's Homies. does not look like she's doing she's well. She's struggling. Um, perhaps not the best meal choice for someone pregnant experiencing all day Extreme, sickness. Yeah, smells are triggering enough mm-hmm. in that state without it being cooked fucking directly right in front yeah. of you. <laughs> like, so, um, definitely didn't have Anna and her sickness in mind. No, with this, but you know, do when they do they ever? think about women? So, yeah. not surprising. So that's when Mike decides to blah, blah, blah. Mike decides to tell the group that he once ate so many shrimp he almost got iodine poisoning. <laughs> he ate 144 shrimp. I feel like every time he you could every time he goes on too long, I just want to be like, less is more, buddy. Well, less is more. The fact that he has a number, I'm like, he counted. 144 like it's very specific was it part of that same eating contest yeah that's what i'm saying i'm like why do you always have like like why do you know it was 144 yeah i guess is that a dozen of shrimp and how many dozen i don't know anyways but i'm like that's very specific oddly specific i'm still a fan of mike i'm gonna put it to the fact that he's nervous if you heard earlier i'm generous if you heard earlier i made myself snort a little bit because what I was thinking of is you do that all the time. Because what I was thinking is that the Mike spinoff could be called Eighteen Kids and Processing. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I mean, are they continually processing? Because they're in your body. Like yeah, you know, I've got like an egg that I'm working with every month. Like you know. <clears throat> okay, so um, apparently this date comes a few days after Josh's twenty first birthday. So Amy has them bring him a dessert and sing. So they do mm-hmm. that whole spiel and kind a of birthday whatever. surprise. Birthday surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Who do I go to for a birthday surprise? Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about that? I'm kind of. No, that it ended pretty abruptly. Yeah. So now we're moving on to the second half of their date, which um, they end up going to Fast Lane, which is just like one of those big entertainment things. Bowl, mm-hmm. his bowling arcades there's like an stuff. arcade yeah yeah but they're there to go go karting Jana, jill jessa and ginger show up as a surprise and i gotta say 
watching those girls try to climb into a go-kart and get situated mm. modestly yep. in a skirt is entertaining as always. Yep. Because we all know there's a really simple solution to this. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing you're going go-karting, you know, putting on a pair of pants. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wear dresses and skirts. I'm not opposed to them. But I dress according to the activities. That would be one I would not wear a skirt to. Which they learned from their mom with her shoes that she went to the diamond field with. Yes. So we all know there's a very simple solution that they completely resist. Mm-hmm. Did you see how annoyed Ginger looks getting into her go-kart? Absolutely. She looks annoyed as fuck. Yep. And at one point she even says, ouch. So, did you notice that? <laughs> yeah. So, I was like, she's trying to, like, get in, and she looks pissed, and she's like, ouch. Yep. So, Ginger's not having it. And it just kind of ends with them go-karting. Famie's got a fame, and she's <laughs> yep. bumping, even though you're not supposed to bump all the time, mm-hmm. or, like, whatever. And then, Anna's, she's sitting out because of she's expecting. Um, except for at the very end, where she and Pest, and then Amy and Mike, Shrimp Eater, they go on like some double go kart things, very slowly. You can tell it's for like kids because like the back has like a children on, on board, board soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like sign in the back, and so they go on like a slow, you know, yeah. like a romantic jaunt like around the go kart. Yeah, like so that she would be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the end of the episode. Yep. Um, I'm only gonna ask this because it's been a long time. Um, which one is like the most dweeby? What's the dweeby one that you always? Jill. So, Jill in this episode, because in the front of oh, all... you knew who she was, but you didn't know her by name? Yes. Oh, okay. Got it. The uh, All of them have cameras in the front of their car looking back at them. So, that's how they have all this footage of them driving. And as modest as they are, you know, it's one thing I realized. The scene that they showed Jill, you could see her knees. Oh. I didn't that even needs notice. to go in the visuals because Damn, Jill. because it I like that aired and it went on. You were you were instantly lusting, instantly. Well, you saw knees and well, yeah. I mean, their knees. Come on, no, but that happened and it it moved on. I legit went. Did that really just happen? Like I actually rewound. <laughs> I didn't even I notice. Actually, yep, I went That's back so in funny. the episode. I love that we noticed different things. I didn't <laughs> even think twice about Jill's knees, and you're all, "Damn, that girl's knee showing." <laughs> well, her legs were pale as shit, so that was the first thing. But you're no. blinded, so you're like, "What was that?" Oh, it's Jill's knees. Yeah, because then in my head I was like, and this is where my thought process went, was that I saw that. And then people that don't dress the way that they dress, I was like, okay, they wore, like, capris or something. And then I'm like, oh, they wouldn't wear capris. And then that's when I went back. You realized it was Jill. Yeah. Yep. 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 The only other thing I had to add to this episode is that when they were um, giving Pest his birthday surprise, um, in the talking head, he started saying something about, like, oh, my birthday passed, like... You know, they, they decided to do this thing for me. It's really embarrassing. And, oh, is it so embarrassing? And, and that's exactly what I put. I put you on there. You don't love every fucking second of it. Yep. <laughs> I was like, he feigns reluctance, but you know that he loves the attention. Always, yeah. And I will say that 
the the running meme online is that I don't care how old you are. Like, nobody knows what to do when people sing happy birthday to them. Yeah, what do you do with your hands? Where I, do you look? What do you do? I stare at the cake. I loathe when people sing me happy birthday. Like, I don't... Exactly that. Like, I just don't know what to do. So. We missed the opportunity, but I feel like next year... His birthday just passed. It was December 30th. Next year, we're going to get on live, and everybody's <laughs> going to sing him happy birthday. And I'm going to look real awkward. So, yep. Well, there's a little Mildred on my lap now. She's... She says, Mama, um, I don't have anything to say about this episode. Oh, okay. So we'll take a little break and we will be right back with the deep dive. So before we fully dive in, um, I just want to talk about how we have a really, really long way to go with this, right? <laughs> <laughs> like the show goes on and on and on forever. Mm -hmm. We have a lot to cover. And as much as I want to talk about things like now, there are better times to talk about things and like whatever. But I think the thing that's good about the fact that we have so much to go is that there's plenty of time to address things, you know? Yeah. So in a sense, I like that it actually opens up the opportunity for us to focus on some things that might be outside of directly being Duggar or IBLP related, but still very relevant. Adjacent. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we're going with it today. So today, inspired by Femi and her dating ways with Mike, mm -hmm. we are going to cover I Kiss Dating Goodbye, a book by Joshua Harris. So first, let's get a little backstory about the author, yet another Josh. I feel like we've had a <laughs> lot of Joshes. We have Agreed. Pest, we had Josh McDonald, now we have Joshua Harris. Mm -hmm. Very much a name that is frequent it feels more than i ever realized so josh was born to greg and sono harris in 1974 and he's the oldest of seven children his father greg is largely considered a pioneer in the christian homeschooling movement oh in 1988 greg published the book the christian homeschool which was huge Mm -hmm. And it included the idea of delight-directed study, okay, which emphasizes enjoying studying and learning. It has been compared by some to the kind of like unschooling approach, mm -hmm. <laughs> but Greg insists that, quote, a child's interests are fanned to flame and support in ways that increased interest in studies, okay. and that is still largely directed and like you know by like the parents and their mm -hmm. involvement and stuff so he was kind of royalty in that in that arena as well in a in a different segue of it but yes correct still in christian homeschooling but on a very different yeah. path then correct like yeah so greg also ended up becoming a church planting pastor and taught workshops and seminars including the raising kids to do hard things seminar so this just gives you very, very brief glimpse mm -hmm. into some of Josh's background and like where he came from. Okay. But now let's take him, let's focus on Josh a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So Josh's first dive into Christian literature was when as a teen, he be, teenager, he began publishing a quarterly magazine intended for Christian homeschoolers such as himself. Wow. So we had a teen zine, huh? <laughs> uh, a teen zine. It was called New Attitude. 
Oh, man, you know that people <laughs> ate that up, too, because they were like, is this kind of edgy? edgy? Yeah. <laughs> um, he published this magazine from 1994 to 1997. Um, admittedly, didn't dive too deep into it, but I couldn't mm-hmm. find like a specific thing on it, really. I might look more into the future, but it wasn't the main topic for today, so I'm like, I got to move right. on. <laughs> so then in 1997, Joshua releases the book, I kissed dating goodbye. So while he was roughly like 22, 23, mm-hmm. when the book was released, he was a mere 21 years old when he wrote it. Mm-hmm. Because everybody who, wants to hear what a 21 yeah, exactly. year old who has to say. doesn't fucking love hearing a 21 year old thinking that they have fucking answers to everything. Yep. Uh, it reminds me so much of Jeremy and Audrey Roloff from Little People Big World, another TLC show. Mm. Another show that Tim never watched. But they were like five fucking minutes into being married when they like self-appointed themselves authorities on marriage and beating divorce. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like nobody wants to hear from you when you're three weeks into dating and you're like, here's how to beat 50%. Like yeah. nobody wants to fucking hear yeah. it, bro. Yeah. Like it just, it's wild to be the way these people like self like appoint themselves an authority right. on a topic when they're five like minutes into something right like they have a platform so they assume that everything they say is important yeah and, and yeah. it's such a thing and especially amongst like the religious group it's like they all think that they have this like fucking thing to say mm-hmm. like it's it's crazy anyway. one of my favorite comedians bo burnham has a song that's like that where it's this song about how you find happiness and love and you know who you're looking for and how everybody has high standards and if we just looked at like it's a good meaningful song but it's written in a way where it's like i have all the answers and at the end it's like um of course i know this i just turned 25 it's like the last name (laughs) yeah the the last line of the song (laughs) it's so funny but it's so true god okay so while this book was certainly not the first piece of literature to discuss dating and or courtship being done in like a biblical way mm-hmm. i kissed dating goodbye exploded and it ended up sell- selling over 1.2 million copies mm-hmm. so while you and i might find a 21 year old um giving advice fucking asinine because mm-hmm. he'd had one girlfriend prior <laughs> mind you right I do think it's pretty safe to assume that him being 21 was the reason behind its success. Right. Because this is like the first type of thing that it was like, hey, it's not being written by someone's fucking grandma. Correct. Or grandpa. This is being written by one of us. Like, you know, it's that whole vibe. And it it also has the uh, children's movie thing where they were like children's movies always outperform like rated R movies. Because parents have to take their kids to the movie. Oh, yeah. And they're like, here, look at this. Look yeah. at this. this so it's kid like, you know, parents you. were buying it for yes. their kids and buying it for their kids' friends, buying it for other parents that also have kids, you know. Well, the other reason behind its success is because it was widely circulated among the evangelical of course. youth groups yeah. used as a source of study. And discussion, and it played a pivotal role in the purity culture of millennials. Yeah. So now let's get into the actual book. I'm just going to highlight my biggest takeaways. Obviously, I'm leaving out a bunch of it because there's no (laughs) way I could include it all. Can we start with how angsty the cover picture was? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's so of the era, too. He's got this, like, 
he's looking down and the head he's got like a like a, like fedora, a fedora like over his like face and like whatever and it's like looking down so it's very <laughs> angsty from the start black and white it's like a it's like a pop album let's be real but I, I do want you to bear with me and I want to read the first page of the book because I do think it's worth reading okay I chose not to cut that because I thought it was super endearing that you were like, hold on, I forgot the book. I was like, shit, I forgot the book. <laughs> like, in my notes, I'm all read from book, and I'm like, I don't have the fucking book. <laughs> That's like you reading a speech and going, wait for applause. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> read and, from and, book. And it's funny because I have it in all in caps. I'm all read from book, and I'm like, god damn You're it, like, I don't have <laughs> the book. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right. So bear with me, but I, even if it feels long. I feel like you'll be entertained, and I have, I'm have i reading it for a reason. <sighs> okay. Very first opening of the book. Oh, God. It was finally here. Anna's wedding day. The irony of it being Anna is oh, funny. Oh, my God. I'm... The day she had dreamed about and planned for months. The small, picturesque church was crowded with friends and family. Sunlight poured through the stained glass windows, and the gentle music of stringed quartet filled the air. Anna walked down the aisle toward David. Joy surged within her. No. Oh. Her sister-in-law. No. <laughs> this was the moment for which she had waited so long. He gently took her hand and they turned toward the altar. But as the minister began to lead Anna and David through their vows, the unthinkable happened. A girl stood up in the middle of the congregation, walked quietly to the altar, and took David's other hand. Another girl approached and stood next to the first, followed by another. Soon, a chain of six girls stood behind him as he repeated his vows to Anna. Anna felt her lip quivering as tears welled up in her eyes. Is this some kind of joke? She whispered to David. I'm... I'm so sorry, Anna, he said, staring at the floor. Who are these girls, David? What is going on? She gasped. <laughs> okay. They're girls from my past, he answered sadly. Anna, they don't mean anything to me now, but I've given part of my heart to each of them. <clears throat> I thought your heart was mine, she said. It is, it is, he, re he pleaded. Everything that's left is yours. A tear rolled down Anna's cheek. Then she woke up. He says, Anna told me about her dream in a letter. Quote, when I woke up, I felt so betrayed, she wrote. But then I was stuck with this sickening thought. How many men could line up next to me on my wedding day? How many times have I given away my heart in short-term relationships? Will I have anything left to give my husband? And scene. Do you see why I felt like that was worth reading? I have. That was intense. And I have multiple comments. Go for I it. have some notes. Okay, go for it. Okay, the first note is. The beginning of it sounded like it would have been an intro to like the new season of The Bachelor. Okay. He's at the altar with Anna and a woman six stands people. up. But yeah, six, <laughs> six women. Girls um, up here. So that, yeah, so that was the first thing. Um, the second thing was, like a lot of media 
in this arena. It's very dramatic. Okay, that's what. So, so my next note, Tim, is out of the gate, very dramatic. Oh yeah, like <laughs> that's literally what I wrote. I'm like yep. this is how you open up the book. Mm-hmm. Dramatic. Yeah, you gotta you gotta grip them. You gotta get your audience. So not only dramatic, but leaning super hard into the whole giving pieces of your heart away, giving pieces of yourself away. Yeah. Narrative. But the reason I really wanted to read that is because it really paints a picture of the vibe of the whole book. Oh, God. So while I may not be reading everything in this book, this I feel like you'll like, you'll understand. (laughs) God. So besides very dramatic... It reminds me so much of Bill Gothard's writings. Yeah. Not so much in tone because this book is much more youthful and a bit more casual, you know, but just in the method. It's fear mongering. Yeah. It's so, you know, it's like story after story of other people's examples, um, which I don't get into a ton of the examples because I'd say that's like 70% of his book is being like this person, this person. I didn't end up writing all those because I'm like, it's fucking like... Yeah. I, I can't write all this shit. But it's just all these examples of people and then chock full of bad analogies and metaphors. <laughs> so it's like I totally understand that those type of things have their place in writing. Mm-hmm. I'm not naive to the fact that that's a tactic or whatever. Yeah. But I feel like it crosses the line when it feels like you are entirely dependent on that to carry your you know to make your a message. point your message yeah in order yeah. to make a point it's like i have to make all these silly fucking analogies yeah to be like oh wow you know mm-hmm. with like people so i think it's a tactic that gothard uses to draw people in correct and projection on my end but i can't help but feel like even though this joshua harris was not a part of iblp mm-hmm. i do feel like he was probably subject to the same tactics in his oh, yeah. life so to him, this is like, this is how you do it. Yeah. This is how you get people. Correct. Whether he sees it that way is like, oh, I'm going to bring people in. But I just think that that's what they are like. This is what you do, you know? Yeah. Also, it shows a pretty vacuous level of support for the message that you're trying to get across. When you you can't make a lot of statements that have their own legs to stand yeah, on. You have, have to merit, literally yeah. just be like. Well, you remember, well, you remember Anna, you know, Anna had this dream, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. what you're basing it off of, not the, the actual statements you're trying to make. Well, and like with him in this book, the, um, like the metaphors, analogies, they're just like constant mm-hmm. and they're really, really corny. <laughs> Yeah. And it feels like even more so than some of the other stuff we've read. They feel extra corny because I'm like, oh, yeah, they were written by a 21-year-old. Right. <laughs> so they have like an extra corn factor. It was so- just like waves hitting the beach over. Oh, sorry. God, see, I started doing it. So I'm only going to give you a fraction of the ones in the books, but you'll see going forward. Okay. I just feel like it's a wave that he's just like, this sounds serious, you know? like <laughs> Yeah. So a quick example is in the intro to the book. So before things even really get started, most people didn't even read the intro, right? You know, it's not in the, even a chapter one. Right. But in this in- intro, he says, quote, I view dating in a similar light as I view fast food restaurants. It's not going to, <laughs> it's not wrong to eat there, but something, uh, 
better is available. Oh, okay. So, you know, at 21, he thinks that was like some deep shit. (laughs) He's like, if I relate it to fast food. You know, it's not the worst. It's not, you know, but, you know, there's something better available. I relate it to fast food. It's not open on Sundays. (laughs) And if you get the combo meal, it's usually a little bit cheaper. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, as I briefly mentioned earlier, Josh did have a girlfriend. (gasps) At the age of 15, he began dating a girl from his youth group. They did your typical teenage, like, you know, dating, like, love shit. Stuff like celebrating their anniversary every month. (laughs) Talking on the phone for hours after their parents went to sleep. And promising to love each other forever. Forever. With his, I'm I'm worth waiting for sticker affixed to his bible he did keep his promise to remain a virgin okay this he says and she was you know doing the same thing mm-hmm. but he says this did create tension in their relationship and shortly before their two-year anniversary they broke up <gasps> quote the drama not quite forever as i had promised Ugh. so dating was the problem yes not the fact that, that is they the were... theme of this whole thing not the fact that they were 15 and in a 15 year old relationship exactly but it was the dating at 17 years old he finds himself asking himself is this how it has to be and then crying to god i want i want your best for my life give me something better than this so um dramatic Uh, yeah and very fragile it's like fucking calm down bro you're 17 it's like i you know what i mean like it doesn't have to be that fucking serious like calm down you're 17 (laughs) he says that the lord revealed to him through his word which completely changed his approach and attitude towards romance relationships and dating okay this attitude is what he calls smart love so just kind of like whittling down all the bullshit he says I'm kind of like saying that this is what I feel like his definition of smart love is. Okay. It's loving someone using both your head and your heart. Good band. <laughs> and avoiding the, quote, sentimental gush of your emotions from dictating your relationships and letting sincere and intelligent love be the guide. None of that sentimental gush. That's true. Like, I'm dealing with that right now, and that's why I let Mildred... Semi climb around the computer. The sentimental gush? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He says, quote, I've come to realize that I have no business asking for a girl's heart and affections if I'm not ready to back up my request with a lifelong commitment. Damn. Until dramatic. I can do that, I'd only be using that woman to meet my short term needs, not seeking to bless her for the long term. So if she had like a sweet CD collection. That's short-term selfish goals, not in within her in it with her for the long run. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. He goes on to call dating a selfish pursuit of short-term romance. Okay. And that while dating may seem innocent, they're actually sinning against each other. Which is really funny because in the intro um, of the book, he says that he didn't think that dating was sinful. So he was like, that's what, like, 
when he talks about the fast food reference in the intro, that's when he was like, dating isn't sinful, but I think there's better blah, blah, blah options. But then now he's talking about dating while seeming innocent is sinning against each other. I think you see that as a tactic multiple times where it's the, you may be sinning without even know that you're sinning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you can never be good enough. And that's why part of the stress comes in. Because you're like, even when I think I'm good, I'm not good. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a tactic. So in one of his other legendary analogies, and I'm paraphrasing this one here, he talks about when you choose um, a cart that swerves at a grocery store, even even though you're trying to go in a straight line, this swerver of a cart keeps pulling you off course. Okay. Okay. Great analogies we got going. He equates this to wanting to be on a straight and narrow path to serve God, but that the cart of dating pulls you in the wrong direction. It's worse when that cart of dating has like the little bit of like debris in one of the wheels. So then it constantly like twitches while you drive it. That's the worst part about the cart of dating. There's a lot of things with cart. I have a lot of problems. And I'm a person that always puts the cart of dating back in the corral. And when people don't, it bothers me a lot. There's so many things that could be talked about here with this whole dating thing. What's the corral of cards with dating? We'll come up with our own analogies. So he says, if you continue to date, you are more likely to swerve into trouble. Okay. Let's be real, a.k.a. you're going to have sex. Let's just call Baby. it what it is. So this now brings us to his seven habits of highly defective dating, which is a total ripoff of the... Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, which came out in 1989, by the way. Right. So he's he's mm-hmm. totally ripping that off. What year did this book come out again? 97. Okay. So you know he was like, God, I got to come up with seven. Like, you know what right. I mean? Like, he probably had four and he fudged another fucking three or, you right. know. <laughs> okay. So Seven Habits of Highly Defective Dating. Number one is dating leads to intimacy, but not necessarily to commitment. He calls deepening intimacy without defining a level of commitment, quote, plain dangerous. Ooh. And he's re- he's referring to intimacy, not just in sex, but in just like, yeah. like closeness or whatever. You mean he's, giving pieces of your heart to other people? Exactly. That's what I hear. I, I, when you give sex, it's another piece. So it's like double pieces. Oh, man. He says people date to get the benefits of intimacy without the responsibility that comes with commitment. Okay. Sounding much older than 21, a little <laughs> boomery, quite honestly. He says, quote, As I see it, dating is a product of our entertainment-driven, disposable-everything-American culture. Oh, my God. And goes on to talk about how, at the turn of the 20th century, cultural attitudes shifted. And even the automobiles, like, uh, like you know, becoming more normal, mm-hmm. brought changes where love and romance became something people enjoyed for recreational value. Oh. Blame my Corolla in the driveway <laughs> for, you know, love and romance. That's true. Destroyed. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Cammy Corolla. Oh, Cammy. Vivian. Uh, Volt. Vivian Volt in the, in the garage. <laughs> We name everything, if you can't tell. And we like alliteration. <laughs> Very much. 
So number two is dating tends to skip the friendship stage of relationships. Okay. He references C.S. Lewis, which my dad was all about, ick. Um, (laughs) C.S. Lewis's description of friendship as two people walking side by side towards a common goal. He says that the premise of dating is attraction, but that the premise of friendship is common interests. Okay. And that dating skips that commonality. What if that common interest is relations? Our common interest is finding each other attractive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had a lot in common. We like phone. We both found each other really hot. <laughs> That's a commonality. Yeah. It's a it's common like, interest. I just agree though. It's like dating and or physical attraction does not mean you skip common interests necessarily like that's so i don't know it's so preposterous to me to like make it so black and white well it's also this idea too that like every relationship should be exactly the same yeah yeah like i feel like relationships go through different parts for different amounts of time depending on the people you know what i mean yeah and how they come to be and what they can evolve to be it's not that simple like there's maybe you had less less in common before and then you grow to have more in common maybe you had a lot more it's just it's, yeah. it's not all this fucking same there's not this like one you know yeah thing um but he does say that if after develop quote if after developing a friendship and attraction forms that's an added bonus okay so anyways number three is dating often mistakes a physical relationship for love He says that our culture as a whole regards the words love and sex as interchangeable. No. Which I don't entirely disagree with. Yep. I don't see that at all. If anything, Mm -hmm. I think that we as a whole can, we as a culture do see sex entirely separate from love. Like, Mm -hmm. I think most people were like, yeah, we understand that sex does not necessarily mean love at all. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I also feel like we as human beings are looking for acceptance and affirmation and i feel like that's such an act that in its in a good form has consent and has kind of positive feelings shooting in both directions for both people that i feel like as human beings it's hard for us to disconnect those chemicals in our brain with the way that it makes us feel so i feel like at first like yeah, you might feel really strong, positive feelings that maybe you're like, oh, it's love. No, it's not. It's just that you feel good and you get all these good things from this person. You know what I mean? I don't know. I guess I just take it as we're much more sex positive culture where I feel like there's more of like a sex can just be sex and sometimes mm-hmm. and and love comes with sex, but it doesn't also mean that every sex is love. I don't know. I just yeah. see it as like, I felt like we come to a place where we've recognized that it's not the same. <laughs> I feel like in a lot of parts of our culture, yeah. But when you look in like hyper restrictive ones, obviously. Well, yeah, I'm talking about, yeah. but he's regarding, he's talking about the culture as a whole outside mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. And I think outside of that, a lot of people have realized that, I don't know, that's how yeah. I feel. And if he's not in that, if he's not outside of that wall, he has no idea. But he, yeah, but he's, he's saying assu- that he's they're interchangeable. That. I don't think that the majority of people think it's interchangeable. Agree. But when you're not in it, you have no perspective, you know? Yeah. So, um, he argues that because dating 
has a lack of commitment, couples end up focusing on the present, which then in turn, the physical relationship becomes the focus, that they then gauge the seriousness of the relationship by their level of physical involvement. Okay. Which, of course, he says is plainly sinful. He has a lot of, like, plain and plainly. You'll see going mm-hmm. forward. Plainly sinful. In case you needed, needed reminding, he says, quote, Just because lips have met doesn't mean hearts have joined. Oh. And just because two bodies are drawn to each other doesn't mean two people are right for each other. A physical relationship doesn't equal love. But I think that's where I'm just like, I don't think a lot of people think, necessarily think that. Because I think that people are more apt to be like, yeah, you know, we banged, but like, you know, whatever. But when your mindset is to keep people away from that, you're going to give them like a bad scenario. Yeah. Well, no, if no, you I do know. these I, yeah. things, you're, yeah, no, no, this I, is what you're thinking. Yeah, you know. I see that. But I just, I'm just like, I just don't think that that's so much is what happened. Like, you know. What I have in my head is that old drug PSA. With the woman that's smashing the eggs. And then she puts the eggs in, on the counter. And she's like, this is your brain. And then she smashes it with the frying pan and goes, this is your brain on drugs. Get the picture. And then she throws the pan. That's how this all feels. Yeah. It very much feels like, this is your soul. This is this your is soul. soul on, se- on sex. On the sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So, number four is dating often isolates a couple from other vital relationships. So, it's just like it sounds. Nothing too interesting is said. But it's just funny because, you know, that can happen with anything new that is brought into your life. Yeah. It's it's not just a dating thing. Like, even taking it back to, remember when we talked about Kurt Cameron? It's like he got mm. into religion and he ignored everybody around him. Yeah. It's like, I feel like anytime something comes into your life, you have... You're susceptible to ignoring people and things in your life with any new thing that it comes yeah. in. A new job. Yes. Yeah. A new you... hobby, a new religion, a new relationship, yeah. a new, t- a, you know, anything. Yeah. You're going to put more of that time towards other things. So to act like this is like a dating thing. Oh, that's a, you know, that's <laughs> a big problem. Yeah. So number five is... Dating in many cases distracts young adults from their primary responsibility of preparing for the future. So he says being distracted by love inhibits the development of your God-given abilities and skills because you're consumed by the needs of dating. He follows this with stories of a couple that ultimately broke up, but while they were dating, they passed up mission opportunities and involvement in the worship band at church. <laughs> so really solid examples he's yep. giving us about how this is like detrimental, right? I mean, their dishes were left dirty in the sink. They didn't feed their animals for weeks because they awesome. were too busy being in a relationship. Yep. The worship band could have had some better bass happening. <laughs> Um, He says, quote, dating may help you practice being a good boyfriend or girlfriend, but what are these skills really worth? Not the worship band, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) But, you know, I would argue that dating gives you the skills and opportunities to learn how to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. First of all. Yeah. 
And that's something you learn and actually are continually learning. You know, mm -hmm. you and I have been together for what, 14 fucking years. And I feel like every, you're still learning how to be a better partner to someone. Mm -hmm. So he, he's quick to dismiss it, but I don't think that being a boyfriend or girlfriend is actually useless the way he makes it sound. I right. feel like you are learning skills. Yeah. But fuck off. It's dating, so it's bad. But it's also that idea that, like, the only reason that people date is so they can smash. That's yeah. not the only reason. And you get a lot of other things out of it. You learn, like you said, you learn how to be around somebody else who you have complicated feelings with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Number six, dating can cause discontentment with God's gift of singleness. <laughs> Isn't this so cool? Like, this it's so, so like, bad. Yeah. Um, here's another one of his banger analogies. Okay. He tells a story of how one of his younger brothers was getting, got a bike for like his third birthday. Okay. But his little brother ended up being more interested in the box as happens with little fucking kids. Okay, this is oh not God. uncommon. And cats. Yes. Mildred loves all boxes. <laughs> Send us boxes, she'd be thrilled. <laughs> so he said it took his family a few days to end up convincing his brother that the bike was the real gift. But Joshua Harris says, quote, I can't help but think God views our infatuation with short-term dating relationships, much as I did my brother's love for a worthless box. Damn. That girl you dated is a fucking worthless box. I thought she was a worthless box. <laughs> I'm am just going right? to start calling people worthless boxes, and they're going to have no idea. What like, a worthless fucking box. Worthless box. <laughs> nice bars. It's kind of like nice, nice bars. Nice bars is the good. Is the worthless good. box is the fucking low. So it's like the highest compliment we could pay on this podcast is telling you you have nice bars. That's if true. If we fucking hate you, we're going to call you a worthless box. <laughs> I want a sticker that says, don't be a worthless box. <laughs> right. <laughs> We need nice bars and worthless box. Don't be a worthless box. Yep. That'll be our sign off now. <laughs> Have a good week, guys, and don't be, don't a, worthless be a worthless box. box. Have nice bars. Don't <laughs> be a worthless <laughs> box. So, um, anyways, he goes on a, quote, a string of, sorry, I'm, I'm flipping between pages. Um, he says, quote, a string of uncommitted dating relationships is not the gift so it's like he's relating that like box <laughs> <laughs> that worthless box worthless. to um not being the gift of those you know uncommitted relationships how do you feel like that how do you feel about that analogy though i i it's so fucking reaching like i'm like that is, don't you feel like that's like reaching beyond the beyonds i feel like number one that didn't happen I also feel like number two, even if that was the case, if that if that part of that gift is bringing that kid joy, it is not it's your job to gift. shit. On you know what I mean? Yeah. But I just feel like he's sitting in his room at 21 years old. He's like, yeah, 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 that's deep. I need, yeah, I need to sound yeah, deep. that's good. That's I need to good. Sound deep. Yeah. So he says dating fosters dissatisfaction because it gives the single person just enough intimacy, like when they're dating. To make them want more and focus on the things that they don't have. Which I feel like that's not even a dating people thing. People can always want 
something that they don't have or mm-hmm. yearn for something. It's like someone who courts or just even is completely sick. A Janet at home who's never gotten married or whatever. Mm-hmm. She could sit there and watch someone and be like, I want that. To act like dating is the culprit. Correct. Is yeah. so fucking asinine to mm-hmm. me. Like, yeah. It's just, it's finding, it's constantly finding a way to be like, dating is the problem. Yeah. yeah. Number seven, the last one, is dating creates an artificial environment for evaluating another person's character. Oh. This one's pretty good. Okay. I'm prepared. Justice stated he believes dating is not only an artificial environment, but also that people create an artificial image of themselves. This idea is illustrated by yet another one of his banger analogies. (laughs) He says if he lowers a basketball hoop three feet below its normal setting, he can look like a good basketball player. He can be dunking all over the place. What a hip analogy. Nobody's business, you right? But this is only because the standards were lowered and he's not playing in a, quote, real environment. He says dating creates the same artificial environment where a person's positive and or negative characteristics aren't being accurately portrayed. He says dating is <laughs> is used as a break from real life, but that you need to see each other in real life settings with family and friends to see how they interact with others as well as react when things don't go like perfectly, basically. Well... I mean, of course, you know, once everybody starts dating, it's easy. Well, it's like, I agree that it's important to see those things. Agree. But it is fucking ridiculous to think that you can't learn those things through dating. Yeah. It's like he paints this idea that dating is only candlelit dinners and trips to the movies. Correct. Yeah. It's like, it may start out that way. Sure. Mm. That's like the progress, but like through the progression of things, you start with these things that are a little bit more simple, a little bit more surface surface. There you go. I almost said shallow, but that wasn't right. But surface. Mm -hmm. And it's like, as time progresses, that's the type of shit that you, that's when you see those things. Yeah. I I just think it's insane that he, you know, acts like, well, you're never going to find that in dating. It's like, fuck that. Not on the second, first date. <laughs> That's not how it works. Yeah. But dating is your opportunity to get to know someone, to see these things. And then when you see the rec- red flag, you fucking bail. Like, <laughs> it's just crazy that he's just like, well, you're never going to see that. But suddenly you don't know somebody at all and you get married. And it's yeah. like, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Or like if you brought that person around your family that all those true things would come out. Yeah, people are on their best behavior when they're meeting other people's family, especially exactly. in the beginning and most of the time through the rest of the relationship. So it's not like involving your family means that all of a sudden it's going to be super, super transparent. Like, Only time tells everything, literally. Like, it's very rare that like yeah. you're going to see everybody for exactly. It's not like who I am today is who I was on our second date. Correct. I mean, a fucking pleasure like uh, you know a gift a uh you are a delight a delight but you know you none of us are the same as we were on our first couple of dates correct that's not fucking reality yeah like when we met mildred at the at animal Bark. rescue yes. yeah. yeah 
that, you know, she wasn't the same as she is now as well. True. So he ends the seven habits of defective dating by saying you can't fix these things by merely, quote, dating right. Even if you avoid premarital sex and traumatic breakups, you'll spend much of your time battling temptation or, quote, battling the swerving cart. You know what just went through my head? <laughs> what? The way that he's acting about dating is the way that I act about Q-tips. Explain. Because the whole thing about Q-tips is that I use them in my ears. And everyone's like, they're the worst thing you can use for your ears. They are not good. But my mindset is, well, I know how to do it right. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So this guy's idea of dating is my idea of Q-tips. Well, I can do it right. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm doing it right. Those people that hurt themselves are just idiots. (laughs) You know? I got it all right. Um, But let's just... Basically... This is all just his way of saying, don't date at all. Don't date. date at all. Like, that's yeah. just, that's what this all boils down to, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, here's how, you know, def- dating is defective. Don't date. Yeah. <laughs> so this next part, while not hugely important, I, I did think was funny, so I wanted to include. Okay. I'm not saying it <laughs> means a lot in the terms, in the grand scheme, but funny. Mm-hmm. He's talking about people acting as though love is beyond your control. Mm -hmm. Okay. He references the common phrases of falling in love and being madly in love. Then he says, quote, so fucking ridiculous. Oh, God. Why do we feel compelled to compare love to a pit of to a pit or a mental disorder? What do these statements reveal about our attitudes toward love? I think we make these somewhat overstated analogies. Because they remove personal responsibility. Oh. If a person falls into a pit, what can she do about it? If an animal contracts rabies, runs around foaming at the mouth, oh. biting people, it can't really help its nasty behavior because it's gone mad. <laughs> Women, am I right? God. <laughs> like, it, number one, it's such a reach. But also... Who is he to talk about overstated analogies? Yeah. No, no kidding. This whole thing has been ripe with them. Yeah. So he's just like, these overstated analogies are... I wonder if he ever grabbed those straws he was grasping for. They swerved in the cart. (laughs) Oh, no, I left him in the cart. So if I remember correctly, I think it was Pa Keller that we heard at some point share this sentiment um, that I'm getting to. But Joshua Harris also sees dating as one of the culprits for divorce. I feel like Pa Keller said something about training for divorce. Something like that. Yeah, I feel like so. So he says, quote, it seems that dating, as we have come to know, it doesn't really prepare us for marriage. Instead, it can be a training ground for divorce. We cannot practice lifelong commitment in a series of short-term relationships. Okay. So, like, all those girlfriends you had before me? Mm-hmm. Boot camp for divorce. <laughs> <laughs> you were well-trained. Yep. Well-versed in divorce before mm-hmm. we ever even got together. Yeah. Every girlfriend is just... Well, even like... Even in those relationships that I had when I was... 
I guess out of high school. Like, I think everybody assumes that, like, high school relationships aren't going to work forever. You know what I mean? Um, even in the ones when I was older, I feel like the goal in those relationships was never to get married. Yeah. It would be nice. Like, it wasn't off like, the table, but it's not your goal. Yeah. And if you're going into it with that goal, you're going to start overlooking red flags and doing stuff because you're literally just you're trying dating. to make it to marriage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I like it sounds like this it's it's the idea of the opposite where it's like well everybody that dates is just roaming around in the wild, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like Yep. He ends up asking all these questions like who wants to marry someone who leaves when romance wanes or when the going gets tough? Which is just like like such a oversimplified reasoning and assumption mm -hmm. that people just bail on like all relationships for these right. kinds of reasons. Well, he was beating me. Well, the going was getting tough <laughs> exactly. and she just gut. I know. It ignores so much of yeah. reality mm -hmm. of why relationships can end. And there's a variety of reasons. Amicable and not amicable. Yes. Like, yeah. It, it just reminds me of that stupid shit that like you see on Facebook. Like those posts that are like, back in my day, we stuck it out. We didn't just call it quits and get divorced. Like, you yeah. know, you see all those stupid fucking mm -hmm. things and people are liking it. They're like, yeah, I'm married 44 years. Yeah. But it's like, okay, that's cool and all. But people also stayed in miserable marriages. Mm -hmm. They suffered abuse. Mm -hmm. And women couldn't have a fucking bank account to leave if they wanted to. I mean, it's just completely <laughs> yeah. ignoring the realities of people just want to be like the divorce rate so so high now it's like you're, you're completely ignoring the change of time and why things were that way yeah. it doesn't mean everything was fucking great things exactly. weren't fucking great it's just people didn't leave <laughs> that's the difference yeah. and there's a variety of reasons why people didn't leave like they could mm -hmm. not and now it's more accepted and people are more empowered and mm -hmm. people are more informed and there's more resource there's a variety of things yeah. but you're completely overlooking that yeah and I think I think there's with the more that people talk about these things as the years have gone on, the more people aren't willing to put up with the same shit they used to put exactly. up before. And when there's so much social stigma and so much monetary, you know, resources that you would have to expend, it becomes a hopeless battle. Yeah. To leave that, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's a different time. It's like it doesn't just that they were marrying so much better. Right. It's, exactly. <laughs> that's not that's what it such is. a good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah. It's like they didn't do it better. Yeah. Because I always, obviously, these are scripted characters, but like I always think about Mad Men. Like when, when Birdie and Dawn finally got divorced, like there was a lot of storyline. Betty. Huh? Her name is Betty. But he called her Birdie. Oh, that's right. You're right. I think of, I just think of, sorry. Mad Men fan over here. Jesus um, Christ. So Birdie, um, when they when they got divorced, they there's a couple episodes or a chunk of a season where they really went through how did their lives change because they didn't have that perfect suburban lifestyle anymore. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know. I just think that's an interesting look into how things used to be, even though it was a scripted story. Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. So now let's talk purity. The real reason behind all of this. So early when he was talking about those darn swervy shopping carts, he talks about how self-control just isn't enough. 
Which clearly, this is why he thinks dating should be avoided altogether. Well, yeah. In talking about purity, he discusses how if we view sex as, quote, the line, what's the difference between holding hands and making out? Or if kissing is the line, what is the difference between a goodnight peck and a 15-minute passionate lip lock? Chance to get sick. (laughs) Very sick. Um, He says, quote, we cannot simultaneously explore the boundaries of purity and pursue righteousness. They point us in opposite directions. So he wasn't down to go to a Mac party. Definitely not. Seven minutes in heaven, not happening. (laughs) Zero amount of macking going on for this gentleman. (laughs) No macking. God, macking. What a word, man. Somebody said it at work. That just takes me right. Macking? Oh yeah. my god. I just was like back in seventh grade. Yeah. I, you were totally macking. Yeah. Somebody said it at work the other day and it like started a thing with all of the old folks. Like the macking. Does kids even have it? Kids, tell me, kids. My niece is 23. I think that's probably the youngest person listening. Did you have you heard macking before? Let us know. Okay. So basically, uh, if you view purity as just a line, He's saying, like, you know, you'll get as close as to the edge as you can. You'll test the walls. Yeah. yeah. So with his point, I mean, we have seen this. I think we all know, like, some religious person in our life that has done everything but intercourse just for the sake of being able to call yeah. himself a virgin. Yeah. You know? Um, so that, that's definitely something that happens. So he's not wrong that people will get as close to whatever line they draw Mm -hmm. personally as their boundary line um, without going over. But I think it's just funny that his, his solution is just complete avoidance of dating. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas like, like I just think of the people, are you afraid of crossing this line only because you've been told you shouldn't or instead of evaluating what you actually feel is appropriate for yourself. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's just this whole thing. But of course, they'll always take it back to, no, it's just temptation. You believe this, but it's just temptation, you yeah. know. But I just think it's a funny thing to be like, well, maybe maybe people are, maybe they don't believe that in their head, but they still feel forced into it because it's what they've been taught. And Right. But instead, the answer is just avoid, just avoid. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that that idea of do you do you not do sinful things for the potential of punishment exactly or do you not do them because you don't want to do them exactly yep you know and and that, i think that's an argument that you see out of a lot of people that were religious at one point that are no longer religious because they think about examples of people that they used to know and this is just my own like my story and i've talked to a couple other people that echo it is that you look back at people that you know and you're like oh you're kind of not a good person but you didn't do these things because you didn't want to go to hell. Yeah. You know what I mean? What's the actual motivation behind it? Your own personal beliefs or what's kind of been forced upon yeah. you? Yeah. Do you think it's bad or you just don't want to get punished? Exactly. Yeah. So he gets real dramatic here again. He, he, he surprise, likes the drama. Surprise. Uh, and he says, quote, many non-Christian view sex as a bodily function on the level of scratching another person's back. God, I wish it was that easy. It's just funny, though, because... Um, Does he not know how much work? <laughs> I've let far less men you? scratch my back. 
Which is not a testament to a high body count on my end, but more of a testament rather to being, to not being like fast and loose with my back scratching. <laughs> <laughs> you, you scratched my back uh, earlier tonight. Uh, I literally did. She's not using an, it's not a There's euphemism. There's no euphemism. It's not a euphemism. <laughs> I scratched You back. know, sometimes rider on like sports bras. I feel like they get extra scratchy around like there's certain like curves and the stuff. Seams, just, yeah. yeah, I'm just like, can you get there? Can you get there? Yeah. But yeah, um, I've had far less men scratch my back, so <laughs> I just thought the whole thing was really ironic. <laughs> I am not fast and loose with the back scratching. <laughs> Only you, honey. <laughs> he says that while Christians quote may hold high higher standards than our pagan neighbors, I feel like that's supposed to be an insult, but it's whatever. I'm afraid we, too, have lost sight of the deeper significance of sexual intimacy. That's because, he says, many Christians have no problem kissing, holding, or fondling each other. Oh, my. He addresses that while you might agree with not having sex until marriage, uh, but view you may view those other things as being okay. Mm-hmm. He shuts this down, though, by saying that other person's, that the other person's body doesn't belong to you. Which, of course, I feel like us normal people. Yeah. We're like, yeah, nobody's fucking body belongs to you, period. Yeah. That's where our mind goes to. But he only means this in the sense of not married. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, they believe that biblically your body does indeed belong to your spouse. Mm Mm-hmm. So this simply refers to being unmarried. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. It's not what we think of. So he says, uh, quote, what, what right do we have to treat the people we date any differently than a married person would treat someone who wasn't his or her spouse? <laughs> okay. Just odd. It's really fucking odd. It just seems so much like I'm trying to... I'm trying to do mental gymnastics to give my argument credence. That's what it feels like at this yeah. point. It's so, it's so much. It's like you're like, like I feel like someone's. I'm just going like K. Like, see, I feel like that woman in that old commercial where she was like, "That's not how this works. That's not how, how any, any of this, this works." works. Yeah. yeah. So switching gears a little bit, one thing I found interesting about this book. Is that for the most part, it really is a dating is bad campaign. Right. But I feel like it it lacks solutions or like guidance, like real guidance. There's no actionable items. So while he does talk about getting rid of things that may, quote, encourage ungodly longings within you, such as, you know, movies, music, um, romantic novels and shows um and then he shares his own boundaries he's created such as not being alone with a girl or avoiding other situations that may lead to temptation so those are some of his like things that i think he thinks are like helpful steps don't stare at the melon section of the produce area move right move right on through Mm -hmm. i do find that his vice is advice is like overall very superficial and just kind of more of a set of rules to try to avoid maybe because he's so young he doesn't have a lot of life experience maybe so (laughs) 
but it doesn't really solve the issue of being a human being is what I'm getting down to. (laughs) So I feel like this is well illustrated in his admission of how he struggles to be, quote, just friends with women. In fact, he says, quote, being just friends is just plain confusing. Again, with the just plain. I haven't completely figured it out. So go figure the 21 year old doesn't fucking know it all. And he's a human being. Doesn't know how to be around women. Yep. <laughs> doesn't know how to be around women that he's not courting. Like, that's what that reminds me yeah. of. And I think that, sorry, it all gets into my head where you're like, how do you not, how do you not know how to talk to people when you're not sexually attracted to them? Like, yeah. that's such a well, skill. Because they put like, so much fucking emphasis on mm-hmm. it that it, it goes the complete opposite direction. It yeah. completely, com- like, it implodes. Yeah. Most, like, I speak to so many, like, people and I watch so many, like, interpersonal interactions. And I feel like you can tell most people can talk to people of the, of, that are, like, around their age or that are in their environment even if you're not sexually attracted to that without person. there being fucking massive That's... sexual tension all the yeah, time exactly but they create sexual exactly. tension they create yeah. it so in trying to answer the question of where is the line between friends and more than friends joshua harris thought of none other than the old tootsie pop commercial featuring the owl oh my god now just in case you need a reminder of this or you've never heard of this commercial It's an old Tootsie Pop commercial where this little boy is asking how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. This owl takes his sucker, right? His Tootsie Pop. And he licks it. He goes one, licks it two, licks it three. And he goes crunch and he bites into it and he says three. I thought you were going to do the voice. One. A two. two, A three. A three. three. I need to get through it first before I did it. So he says he always felt sorry for the boy in this commercial. Not only was his Tootsie Pop eaten, he never got his question answered. He said, quote, when I consider friendship with girls, I feel like that boy. So fucking dramatic. (laughs) I don't want to reach the chewy center of romance. Gross. I just want to be friends, but I don't know how much attention a friendship between a guy and girl can handle before crunch. So what he's saying is that Al was DTF, is what he's saying. (laughs) Down to fuck that Al was. He was like, I can't wait. One, two, let's go. I'm glad that kid asked him because this Al fucks. (laughs) (laughs) So the crunch can come in the form of becoming jealous of what, you know, very, like, them talking to other people or, like, mm. whatever. Um, daydreaming about this friend or even more. Um, you can say whatever you want, but he says, deep down, you know that you've been crunched. It's so corny. You know what joke I was going to make? What? I could go for getting crunched right now. <laughs> So he says that he has plenty of crunch stories as he struggled to understand how to be friends with women. Are those like old penthouse letters? The crunching stories? Getting crunch. <laughs> Getting crunch stories. But he does share one particular story. 
So I'm just going this off the top of my head, kind of paraphrasing it. All so a quiver. He made he meets this girl at like some sort of like Christian type camp thing, right? In Colorado. They become friends at camp, and then after camp, they become pen pals, and they're writing back to each other all the time. Oh, the scandal. Right? And at one point, they even end up, like, traveling to see each other. This is his, the summer before his senior year, so it's after the breakup with that one girlfriend. And this is a time that he's like, I thought I could just handle being friends with the girl, right? So... She ends up becoming just friends with another guy, and he got jealous, and their friendship ends. So it's ironic that earlier he said dating is intimacy with a lack of commitment, Mm -hmm. but now here he is getting intimate, as in getting to know this girl well, with this girl as friends, Mm -hmm. also without commitment, and getting his heart broken regardless. Yeah. Do you see the irony in all yeah. of this? It also sounds like a lot of, like, this story that involves him, it sounds like it's a you problem. It's not a dating problem. Exactly. That is exactly my point. It's like, instead of just recognizing that this happens to people regardless of dating or friendship, mm-hmm. and it's just being a part of life, this yeah. shit happens. Mm-hmm. He leaned so hard into how, like, he was writing her too many letters. And while they were signing them, like, your friend, he's like, it was clearly, like, more than that. And, you know, they were too close and it was just too close to dating. So he just leans super hard into this thing that it was just too much more than friendship. So it sounds like this breakup got him in his feels and he didn't have the prerequisite skill, interpersonal skills to deal with it well. So instead of dealing with the loss of this previous relationship, he got jealous and leaned into pen pal girl. And then he couldn't handle pen pal girl because he still had unresolved feelings about crunchitize me capman or whatever she was. (laughs) So he decided it's, it's a lot easier for me to write a book and blame dating rather than change myself. Exactly. Exactly. Or just accept that that's how, so it's like, all this heartbreak has to be blamed on dating or friendships that got too close instead of simply acknowledging that humans are going to catch feelings for other humans regardless of whether you smash or not and it isn't always going to work out Mm -hmm. like instead of just accepting that but but instead they're going to they're going to make it harder they're going to make it more stressful Mm -hmm. they're going to make it more guilt-ridden than it needs to be yeah by refusing to just accept this as a fact of life. Like, yeah. this shit happens. It's like, you don't have to demonize getting too close to people. Mm-hmm. It's fucking weird. Yeah. Like, you you created this whole fucking scenario, story, blah, 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 whatever bullshit. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, this shit fucking happens in life. Yeah. It's f- so fucking weird to me. <laughs> I was just... This is a side note, but it links in... Um, the guy that I consider my leadership guru, Simon Sinek. If you're out there, Simon, I love you. Um, Simon, if you're listening, Simon he's not Sinek, listen- if you're he's listening, not listening, you're my leadership guru, and I love your I love your work. Um, but he is a he is part of one of his talks where he's he's like we we like to tell other generations that like they're the leaders of tomorrow, and it's like we're the leaders of today. And he's like, you know what the common denominator with every failed relationship I have is me. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. 
maybe this is you, Joshua Harris. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he also has this really wild take on the difference between friendship and intimacy. Okay. Um, he, my body is ready. <laughs> he defines friendship as something outside the friends bringing them together. So again, with that commonality thing that he talked about earlier. Okay. okay. A hobby, faith, sports, music, mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's something outside of these people. Okay. But he says that intimacy is is about each other only. Okay. And as soon as a friendship begins to focus on the relationship, it has moved beyond friendship. So apparently friendships have to be centered around something to be a fucking friendship. That is a wild take to me. That's fucking asinine. Yeah. You can't just like... In- you can't enjoy somebody's company because they've given you support in your life and that you laugh at the same shit. Like, so, but is that commonality? You know, but right. I'm kind of be like, oh, so if you laugh at the same thing, are you calling that commonality or is that interest in each other? Like, you know, it's right. like, it's just a stupid way of defining shit. Yeah. And I don't know. I just thought that was a really fucking weird take on things. Relating it back to that girl, the camp girl. He says that at the beginning of their friendship, it was based on being at that camp, mm-hmm. as well as common interest in both tennis and piano. Mm-hmm. Quote, but we had little reason to continue our friendship from a distance. We couldn't participate in common interest side by side over miles. We had no basis for continuing the relationship except for the fact that we were interested in each other. So as I was writing that, I wasn't even planning it, but I was just writing that quote and I was like, oh my God, he completely contradicts himself from earlier Mm -hmm. with this story. So if you remember how in the seven habits of highly defective dating, (laughs) number two is dating tends to skip the friendship stage. Correct. And that dating skips commonality. Then he ended it by saying, or the part that I ended at was, quote, Mm -hmm. If after developing a friendship and attraction forms, that's an added bonus. Yeah. So he and this girl, they had commonality. At this camp, tennis, Mm -hmm. piano, they had a friendship. It continued via letters. Mm -hmm. They formed an, clearly they formed an attraction. Mm -hmm. All these things he earlier says in the book as being a good thing. That's fine. That's an added bonus. That's fine. That's like a progression that's allowed. But now all of a sudden it's a fucking problem. Right. So the problem with this girl simply was that they wouldn't allow themselves to be more. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem isn't what it actually was. It's that they wouldn't allow it to right. be anything else. Mm-hmm. But since he was 17 and can't commit to, you know, and I'm saying this going off of his things of like why he, like if I were to present this to him being like, wait, you said this earlier. I imagine that he would say, well, I'm 17 and I com- can't commit to marriage, mm-hmm. so we can't date. Right. Because that's so the, the ans- angle. So the answer is always, and the solution is always this fucking loop of fuck mm-hmm. back to, you know, to avoid, to, do, to avoid dating altogether all over again. Right. But so the circular fucking reason, <laughs> again with that, 
I, I just thought that was mind blowing. I'm like, he's yeah. literally, and I just wonder how many times have people studied the book the way I'm studying it and made that connection of like, you literally can, what you said in chapter two contradicts yourself in chapter six. Yeah. You said this was fine. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it's not fine. Right. I don't know. It's fucking wild. So while, while this might feel like an odd ending, that is the last major thing that I feel is kind of worth discussing in the book. Okay. There is a lot of other bullshit. Modesty. He doesn't harp on it, but he does talk about how, like, girls can help out guys. And he, he does mention defrauding. Oh, um, God. But how, like, you know, we're certainly not telling you how to dress, but, you know, you can But I'm help totally out. telling you how to dress. Exactly. <laughs> um... Uh, he talks about qualities to look for in a partner, yada, yada, but just stuff that in general I felt like could be skipped. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of want to move on to my thoughts on things. Okay. So the really a reason that I wanted to cover this is because I feel like it serves as a, like a good reminder that these things ex- exist outside of IBLP. Correct. I think that people like to be able to say, like, oh, the Duggars and, like, you know, IBLP, that's a cult. They're fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, I feel like that's easy to say. Because, like, like I've said before, um, it's kind of that, that freak show aspect mm-hmm. of things. But I, I think that this helps address the fact that there is complete crossover with their beliefs with mainstream denominations and people. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be a Gothardite to subscribe mm-hmm. to some of the same bullshit. Correct. So it's like subtract subtract that like freak show aspect of it all. But at the core, there there are a lot of people out there who are subscribing to those same ideals. Mm-hmm. I think even for a lot of religious people, they might be quick to say that, you know, IBLP is damaging and, you know, but I feel like they would get really uncomfy when you hold that mirror up to them. Yeah. And you show that some of the same damaging things are happening in their own mm-hmm. like denomination or yeah. belief system or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, because while there's a lot of like there's a lot of like in this book, there's a lot of fluff and filler. Mm-hmm. Regarding like heartbreak and things like keeping, you know, this keeps you away from your talents. (laughs) Like, you know, like all that stupid shit that they try to spin as like an actual fucking reason. Right. Like, like, I mean, let's be totally real. The main focus of all of this is not having premarital sex. (laughs) Don't you feel like it's a whole lot of way to like adding words and adding chapters mm-hmm. and adding reasons but it's just like don't fucking have sex before it's, it's all about premarital sex yeah this is entire thing yeah and because remember they don't want you happily married they just want you married <laughs> yes like i keep thinking about that through about the last four episodes mm-hmm. like with even with stigma divorce their goal is not to have you in a productive happy marriage that is beneficial for you and your spouse yeah. It is for you to be married, married. and to make more kids. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And make grandchildren. Grandchildren. So, if this is all about not having premarital sex, 
avoiding said sex. That goes across most, if not all, religions. Like, I'm trying to think of a religion that's like, yeah, you can have sex before marriage. <laughs> now, yeah. some non-denominationals not might may not, like, rail on it as hard. Mm-hmm. But I can't, off the top of my head, someone correct me if I'm wrong. I can't think of a religion that's like, yeah, it's fine. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't so, know. I can't think of any. <laughs> exactly. So, this isn't a topic that is, you know, unique to IBLP. Correct. Like, the problem isn't so much a person having that as a personal goal or, like, a conviction. Like, (laughs) whatever. You know, it's like, you do you. I guess that's not not allowed either. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, you know, whatever you think is fine. I don't care. If you decide you don't want to have sex, it's not my personal belief. But ultimately, do I give a shit if someone wants to wait till marriage to have sex? No, I don't fucking care. And neither should the rest of us. Whatever. Mm -hmm. You do whatever the fuck you feel like is right for you. But the actual problem lies in making people feel like less than for making a different decision. Mm -hmm. Or forcing it upon them in a way that gives them extreme guilt over maybe sex itself. Yeah. But also for having, like, friendships or basic human feelings about right. the opposite sex. Right. That's what I think is so wild is, like, yeah. there's so much put on these people for just having fucking feelings. Oh, yeah. And I, I also feel like when you look at the, like, the gender divide, especially in in IBLP, we see it. But you see it in, in other communities as well. Um, to put the onus on young women that are going through the same weird hormonal emotional changes that any young person will be and then you have this other added layer of like you need to be responsible like when you just said it when you were talking about modesty and it was like women can help men out why is that their fault (laughs) yeah like why are we not teaching the male part of that community how to deal with these things and what's okay and what's not okay rather than, well, that girl was wearing a spaghetti strap at school yep. and it was her fault because she was real slutty. You yep. know what I mean? Yep, exactly. That, that shit grinds my gears. Mm-hmm. And I, the, another thing that stuck out to me is just making a person feel like friendship is dangerous Right. to me is really sad. Mm-hmm. So when he went over this whole part about how like he admits like I struggle with being st- friendships because when does it? But I'm like, I don't think every friendship you have with the opposite sex is always going to turn to attraction. Agreed. But if it does, maybe that's something worth exploring if they're also into it. Like it's not this terrible thing. Yeah. And even if they don't reciprocate it, it's a fucking lesson learned. It's a part of life. Yeah. But to make friendships into this like ooh, that's real risky. Mm-hmm. That's fucking sad to me. Yeah. Well, it's also going if you if you go through those things in a in a like dating or just friends or whatever it is, you go through those situations, you learn things that you like, you learn things that you don't like, you learn appropriate ways to react to situations, appropriate like inappropriate ways. Like you learn so much through those situations not working out Mm -hmm. in marriage absolutely and you learn so much and then when you move on you're like 
oh, this one's better because in this previous thing, this is how I acted and it was dumb. Yeah. You know? Like, um, I'm looking at... So it's like they have these... These big, like, danger warnings <laughs> on everything even remotely in regards to dating, which includes friendships with the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. But along your same vein, they fail to ever acknowledge all the learning opportunities that come mm-hmm. with that. So l- like, like you were saying, not only do you learn about how to be a partner, you learn what you want and what you don't want. Mm-hmm. But as- even aside from that all, you learn so much about yourself in the meantime. Mm-hmm. But because of their fear of sex, which is what this all boils down to, <laughs> You aren't allowed to learn any of these things. Yeah. Dating is made the villain. Mm-hmm. It's an easy thing to villainize. Mm-hmm. And you're, these people become completely stunted. Yeah. Emotionally. So it's like when Josh and his one girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> broke up because... And he, remember how he was like so fucking fragile about it? He's like, God, there must be something better than this. Right. At 17. What 17-year-old is like, God, please tell me something's better. They're going to be like, and next. You know? <laughs> right. And they think and next is a bad thing. But to me, and next actually isn't a bad thing because it's mm-hmm. the more you're going to learn. And you're moving on. Yes. You're moving on from a from a negative situation in your life. And hopefully learning something from it. It's like, that's not to say that breakups can't be hard because they can be awful. But like, he's 17. Like, you know, he's 17. Yeah. And it feels like he was so fragile about it because he was just so emotionally stunted maturity wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're completely sheltered from life experiences mm-hmm. as a whole. So they don't know how to cope with and learn from these type of experiences. Yep. Instead, it's just like, let's never date. Like their answer, their solution is let's just never date again. <laughs> like what a wild way to go. In The Simpsons, Bart does something and tries something and fails at it. And Homer goes, well, boy, you tried and you failed. So I think the lesson to learn is never, never try. So they took their advice from Homer Simpson when it comes to dating and they're like, never again. I don't know. You just learn so much from, from these experiences, but their solution is always just like avoid, avoid, Mm -hmm. which is so crazy to me. Yep. All right. So one last thought when he was saying that dating makes people create an artificial image of themselves. I found it really ironic because I feel like religious settings are when people are at their most artificial. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I'm certainly not saying that this applies to every person. So if you just suddenly felt offended, I'm not saying this applies to every person, nor that church is the only place that artificial people are artificial. People are fucking fake Everywhere. everywhere. You know, I'm not saying that that's the only place. But um, I think that a religious type setting is certainly a big one in which people create a artificial image of themselves. Agree. Take Josh. You know, for an example, mm-hmm. what do they present present themselves as in this church setting? And what are they really behind closed doors? Yeah. So 
I just thought that was extra ironic that he was just like, dating is so artificial. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Have you seen <laughs> some people that go to church? Yeah. And it's all about like, it's all about what image of yourself that you want to put out there. And that's human being in general. That's human yeah, I mean, nature. We have, I, we have versions of we have a tr- uh, social media. We have a work version of ourselves. I'm not saying that this mm-hmm. isn't doesn't happen. So mm-hmm. I don't want anybody going off on this whole thing. Like, rah, rah, but it's like I accept we have a like a personal version. Mm-hmm. We have a work version of ourselves. Usually there, family. There are like some curated, edited versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But just to act like dating is just like the super artificial version. I'm just like, there are a lot of things with especially religion being <laughs> being yeah. one of them. Yeah, you see it everywhere. And but I'm over not time, the person. If you allowed them to date, that would eventually wear away for the most part. Yeah, the honeymoon phase wears off. Yeah, reality <laughs> fucking sets in and you start going like, oh, this is it. This is oh, this is how they are under pressure. This is how they are right. in this situation. This is how they treat um server like you know i'm just thinking of all the little things <laughs> yeah. that as you date someone you're like oh got mm-hmm. it you know yeah <laughs> things set in yeah and i think you you kind of hit an important thing and this is just kind of a personal tangent um i realize that i judge other people on how they treat people they think they're above service staff type things S- yeah. service staff definitely that's one of the big things cashiers um like like i work at a hotel like the the welcome table the servings like there's people that you see acting a certain way and you're like i would never act that way towards anybody you know what i mean um so that's part of it is like you start to see those cracks come through and i think one of the good things you said was how they act under pressure and time tells all of that yeah it's important because then you look into a relationship and you're like oh, this is what, you know, we were under this kind of stressful situation. You were a complete asshole to me. Oh, I don't know. If, I don't know if this is a long-term solution, you know. I just think it's funny that they act like dating is the issue mm-hmm. when jumping into a possible courtship where you haven't done enough of this, but suddenly it'll all be fine. And you're tied in. You're tied in, yeah. but it'll be fine. Correct. Because you courted, you didn't date. <laughs> that The D word. Is there anything else you wanted to add to this? No, I I think it's interesting, and I think you see a lot of um, groups of adults struggle with how to speak to kids going through this certain time time of their lives, and I feel like you see that in a lot of communities, and that's what this is. Like, you're this group of people is having to deal with growing up like a human being. And then you always hear about it with parents, and the parents are like, God, when I was her, when I was my daughter's age, this is all the shenanigans I was getting up to. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, as a parent, you struggle with this thing of, I want them to live a life, because obviously I feel like I turned out okay, but then I don't want them to do all the dumb shit that I used to do. You it's, know? A, it's always a fine balance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah. that's hard. Like, that's hard to, I think that's part of parenting that's probably difficult i don't know know if katie as she listens to this remembers me telling her this or not she may not remember it but i remember telling my niece i i was like when you get older you kind of inherently um become a hypocrite (laughs) (laughs) that's very true and i like laughed about it but i was like because 
all the things that you thought were just like totally fine when you did it, you're like, you would still never want that for whether, you know, whether it's your child or for me, my niece or whatever, whoever the person is that you're kind of like looking up for. I'm like, you kind of become a hypocrite because you sort of kind of talk against things that you did. Yeah. But if you're doing it right, you're being semi hypocrite because you're, but then you're also like, it might still happen. And here's the best way to go about it. And here's the best case scenario or whatever. But I remember like you and me, I got married when I was 21. Do you think I would tell people to get married at 21? No. Fuck no, I wouldn't. Yeah. Like, it turned out okay for us so far, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. But it's like, that's not something I would actively go out and be like, yeah, getting this married is... at 21 is the way to go. But I also feel like it's a mindset of my way of doing things is not the only way to do things. Absolutely. And that's one thing that gets lost with certain generations, certain groups of people, certain communities, is that idea that every relationship needs to be the same as mine. And if it's not the same as mine, it's a failure. Yeah. You know. But like, I feel like it's just a matter of recognizing this is what I did. I might advise against that. Maybe that makes me semi-hypocrite, a a but at the same time, you have to find, you have to bridge that gap between being a hypocrite and also being accept, accepting and understanding and also just kind of like talking through it all at the same time correct like yeah. it's, it's a balance but i was like yeah i'm like we all get older and we're all fucking hypocrites like my niece's mom <laughs> got married when she was 18 do you think her mother would be like yeah go get married at 18 and then i got married at 21 you know right it's it's just it's just different <laughs> yeah <laughs> things are different once you get older we're like eh, well maybe even if it worked mm-hmm. out for us like here's a way you could go about because life is full of experience yeah but I don't know. And I think that difficult human being part of it, too, is, you know, she got married at 18. So everybody that she saw growing up, whether it was you or whether it was her own kids or other people's kids, when they were 18, she was looking and going, could you imagine them doing what I did? (laughs) I know. Could you imagine them getting married right now and then looking at where you were in your life? You know what I mean? So it's also that, like she was looking at it at that time as a reflection of herself well it's kind of funny because like even this is kind of sidestepping a little bit but so my oldest sister her mom got married at 18 i'm the youngest i got married at 21 so we're the bookend sisters Mm -hmm. we both got married relatively young middle sisters both got married at like 25 ish ish Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit older but it's like if you ask my mom she was like oh i never worried once about you and brie the oldest mm-hmm. sister but she's like if the other two got married younger she's like i might have said something I'm like, number one i'm like would you <laughs> number one would you because my mom is not that type of mom but also but that's to say that there is different people where you're like oh they can handle this and other people yeah. were like no no red flag no. <laughs> like yeah. Bree and i are both both what everybody is like old souls yeah so it's just funny how it is different from person to person yeah. but even being different I still wouldn't tell the average person that, like, yep, getting married at 21 is the way to go. Yeah. (laughs) Even though that's exactly what I did. Yeah. Everyone's different. I think it shows an emotional maturity to be like, my way's not the only way. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and not just because we turned out to be in a disaster. I feel like it's a lot easier when people are like, oh, that was a fucking disaster. Don't do that. Yeah. But then that's just... I will say, honey, I don't think we're a disaster. I don't think so either. I think it just shows also that it's confirmation bias because if somebody gets married at like 18, I think everybody's 
even if it's in the back of their head or it's just an initial opinion, everyone's going to go, this probably won't last very long. Yeah. So when it doesn't last, they're like, well, see, I told you they got married really early. You know what I mean? It's confirmation bias. Yeah. And I feel like it's ignoring other instances that are different, even though they have just as much merit. Mm -hmm. We got married young. Our situation has just as much merit as somebody that we were just talking about this last week. We have people that we knew in high school that are on like their third marriage it's wild i can't <laughs> yeah. even get over it yeah they have like five kids and they're on their third marriage it's I'm like 33 it's i'm like you've been married how many times yeah going for that frequent frequent user card for the the justice the of the peace yep all right so anyways fascinating yeah. i love i love the fact that we're getting into things that are uh duggar adjacent um I'm very excited for you to put his very dramatic book cover up for I visuals. Um, I just think I think it is fun to flip back and forth. I like to try yeah. to go, okay, Duggar, IBLP, and then here's something else, and then Duggar, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. It is interesting to kind of show that, hey, it's not just in IBLP that these things are mm -hmm. happening. When you were reading the first page that was the dream of the multiple women at the altar. It's the drama. In my head, I also thought, could this be a... Is he, is he trying to prove that he can do promos for Sister Wives as well? Uh, he doesn't even watch Sister Wives. He only <laughs> I just watched he the only dramatic the, stuff. He only that... watches the clips I make him watch. I'm like, yep. hey, watch this. Watch what he did to Gabe. What, look, look, look what Gabe says. Yeah, and Whitney will tell me those. <laughs> we have a thing that we do to each other where I'll be like, all right, can I take 30 seconds and tell you something that you don't care about? <laughs> That's We have a, like a disclaimer. In the beginning. I'm like, I'm going to tell you shit you don't care about. Here we go. Mm -hmm. and then that's usually when she grabs her phone pretty much and then usually i try to pay attention he tries i usually Doesn't try to always succeed I, I put a complete effort to like pause a video game or put my phone no, down you don't you don't yes, pause your video i, I try game. to that's bullshit i try he's to. lying to the people he's a fucking liar uh, it's because we got married young yep that's why <laughs> lies all right. You got anything else, my love? Um, I did just want to say that this is the end for today, but this is not the end of the saga regarding Joshua Harris. I'm excited because I know what the twist is. You do? You told me. Did I? Mm-hmm. I don't remember telling you. Yeah. So, I'm excited. The second part's going to be so real interesting. So tune in next week for the continue. This is the first time I feel like I've told pre-told the next mm -hmm. <laughs> deep dive, but... If you if you kind of know already some of the stuff about him and you're like, wait, she didn't go over that. That's because there's too much. I wanted it's to first week. hit his heyday. And hey. next week we will continue the, the saga of Joshua Harris. Mm -hmm. All right. So per usual, join us for episode visuals and other shenanigans on the Instagram at Digging Up the Duggars pod. Send us an email at Digging Up the Duggars at Gmail. Mm hmm. You can buy us a pickle or buy uh, us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash digging up the Doug. That one always makes me think of a radio And DJ. I have to say it in that voice every time. I'm incapable of not being like digging up the Doug. Uh, what are you on a morning show? I know, right? She's like Whitney and the Bean in the morning. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we do have a P.O. Box, which is P.O. Box 5973, Glendale, Arizona, 85312. So 
thank you very much. It was it was nice to be back. This was fun. Yep. Uh, we will see you next week for more. And remember, please remember, have nice bars and don't be a worthless box. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>